Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to The Bird Calls. I'm your host, Preston Ellis, fresh off my day of jury summoning. It was terrific. And this will be our last conversation until game two. Who's excited to stay up until 1 a.m. again? I'm complaining. Uh, but let's get back to NOLA already uh, on Thursday. I think the game's at 8 o'clock, so that's that's much more in my wheelhouse. Here to help me whine about late-night basketball, another old geezer, Mr. Editor and Chief to the BirdRights.com, Ali Cosell. What's up, dude? I can barely hear you. Oh, really? Yeah, my, my hearing aid's not on. Hold on a second. Yeah, I can no, hear no, you fine. I'm literally joking. Oh, this was all a joke. Good. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. I'm going on with your stupid line. I don't like it. <laughs> right over my simpleton head. I'm editing that out. You make me look like a buffoon. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. You guys can follow him at Ali Cosell and at The Bird Rights. Uh, and we are also joined by our friend, award-winning journalist and editor to BlazersEdge.com, Mr. David McKay. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing pretty well. You know, I'm uh, enjoying the series so far. It started a bit ugly, but, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is, and simply <laughs> enough, you poor guy, just like resigned to sorrow. You guys can follow him at David McKay NBA and at the Blazers Edge. Thank you again, sir, uh, for those wonderful videos. If you guys follow him on Twitter, he posted some stuff from Shoot Around, including some uh, some competitive three point shooting contests from Rajon Rondo, among other things. So thank you for doing that, sir. Make sure you follow him to get some more of those nuggets. I'm going to start with Ollie. Ali, I don't know if you saw this or uh, as of yet, David actually passed this along to us. So thank you to him. This was from Mark J. Spears of the Undefeated. 
Uh, it says injured New Orleans Pelican center DeMarcus Cousins recently relocated back to his offseason home of Las Vegas to continue his six-day-per-week rehabilitation regimen from his torn Achilles tendon injury, a source told ESPN's The Undefeated. The four-time NBA All-Star hopes to attend an upcoming Pelicans playoff game, but the source said such is difficult to do to his rehab. Now, Ali, my first reaction to this is Boogie may have seen some of the negative feedback from like the times pick for instance, that he wasn't in attendance and he wanted to make sure that he got his story out. Do you think that's what's happening here? Yeah, I do. I think that picture of him being on a plane was kind of incriminating evidence simply because if he's on a plane and he's not coming to Portland, where is he going and why is it a better reason than not being with the team? So yeah, it was good for him to speak up. All right. Caught red-handed, I guess, uh, so to speak. Hopefully, he's just circling Las Vegas. He's just a flan- fan of the airways over there. Uh, this is for David. Uh, let's let's Preston, talk about the Preston, let me just touch on why so we kind of clear it up, too, that he's not a bad guy. There's any slew of reasons, starting with the fact of the rehab. Um, I think people need to understand that with the team in Portland, for him to either go up there or maybe just go ahead and go on to New Orleans might not be feasible. I think Keith Smith actually tweeted this out where um, Las Vegas has is a really good hub, you know, for practicing, training, and rehabbing. And with the Pelicans on the road currently in the playoffs, they may not have those uh, usual resources back in New Orleans or with the team. You know, I'm guessing it might be divided. Um, the other thing is, of course, it's a shorter flight to Las Vegas. And then Boogie and Sev, you know, flying up to Portland and back to New Orleans, maybe all that undue stress of flying may be um, also um, relevant. So he may just be waiting for the team to get back to New Orleans before he rejoins them. You know, there's any kind of slow reasons as to why he just, you know, isn't with the team currently. I just saw too much negativity. So I just had to put that out there. Thank you for clearing that, uh, that up. And that's great news for us, Ollie, because we're going to be going to summer league and it sounds like we're going to see him there, right? Yeah. He's, he's there. <laughs> off. Yeah. That'll be great. We'll hang with him. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's I'd like great. to jump in for a moment and say that, uh, when they were talking about that at shoot around about the possibility of cousins coming and joining the team, Anthony Davis had mentioned that uh, that would be really huge for them. So moving forward, if Cousins is able to join them for one of these games just to watch and support, it'd be a nice little team unity moment for them, especially, you know, as they try and move forward and as a collective uh, understanding that past these playoffs, win or lose, you know, they're going to be a team, uh, hopefully. (laughs) Let me just ask David this real quick. And it just occurred to me that another reason why Boogie may not be up in Portland um, how receptive are fans to opposing players? And is there any still ongoing beef with Boogie? You know, as known with Myers Leonard um, in the past at um, altercation, whatever you want to call it. Like, for instance, Boogie, David, I'm sure you're aware, when he goes to away gyms, he hears a lot of grief. You know, Los Angeles and Utah come to mind where he had a few instances over the last year where he was fined by the NBA for some interactions where he basically uh, reacted to what was said uh, his way. You think that perhaps one reason why he's not in Portland is simply because he's trying to avoid becoming kind of like, uh, you know, um, and uh, I don't know, what would you say, a distraction, I guess, to the team, simply because the fans in Portland would give him, you know, just a bunch of grief? No, I don't think he's that concerned about fans. Like, he he has emotional reactions to things, but I I don't think he's oversensitive to outside criticism from, you know, (coughs) pardon me, from opposing fan bases and <clears throat> excuse me uh his uh history with Myers Leonard is kind of fun that was something people were joking about on Twitter that uh I mean they've had uh, multiple meetings and I feel like every time Myers tends to get under his skin or there's some sort of altercation and 
you know, that's the real thing we're missing in this series is the DeMarcus Cousins, Myers Leonard rivalry that isn't really a rivalry, but it's it's always a fun little thing to watch under the basket as the play is going on. You heard it here first. This won't truly be a series until DeMarcus Cousins returns to face off with Myers <laughs> Leonard. Uh, that, that's a nice uh, precursor to something I was going to ask you, David. I was going to get to it in a second when we, uh, in terms of X's and O's and Terry Stotts, and I'm sure you guys have talked about this to death at this point, but Myers Leonard, a bit curious coming in in the final minute and uh, a play designed for him. Uh, it looked like it could have been an effective play. Of course, it all fell apart. But what was your take with inserting him at that point in the game? You know, Myers is going to catch a lot of flack just because a lot of Portland fans uh, don't particularly like him, which is uh, neither here nor there. But um, I think that putting him in was fine. People like to say, like, and I've heard uh, since the game, like, why would you put him in ice cold? Why would you put him in ice cold? And that makes sense. But it's not like he missed a wide open shot. Like the reason the play didn't work is because of Drew Holiday's defense. And I think the first option on that was probably to hit Damien off the flare. He just wasn't open. And so Myers rolled to the hoop like he was supposed to. And, you know, they were foiled by the Pelicans in the paint. Yeah, nice. Uh, Ali, you know what? I'm going to pass this back to David, a quick follow-up in terms of the Meyer-Leonard thing and and what the Blazers have been dealing with as a whole. We've been talking a lot on this podcast lately about the Pelicans being pretty good on the road, and we thought there was a good chance the Pelicans might be able to steal one of these two uh, at the Motor Center and how the Blazers respond specifically, not just in Game 2, but when they come back to NOLA. And here's a, a quote directly from Damian Lillard. He said, I literally convinced myself this makes it better. Sometimes you have to go through something. If you really are built for it and it's really what you want, there's nothing wrong with adversity. And McCollum also agreed. He said that he was calm in the midst of chaos. What a poet. Uh, he said, I've seen it all. I've been through a lot. So this doesn't phase me. I do what I can do, prepare, and I live with the result. Obviously, it's just one game. This is a seven-game series. These guys are all saying the right thing. And we, of course, all expect Dame and CJ to play better. What about the rest of the squad? Do you expect them to respond to adversity this way? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think that's uh, something this team has really excelled at and something that we've seen um, in a larger scope, both this year and last year, where the team has kind of come out and not met expectations, and then they realize it, and as a collective, they uh, really, it it boosts them even. And I'd say that uh, we saw that with the winning streak this this past uh, February, March, and um, just in general, they've always kind of been like, uh, how do I want to put this? There, There are expectations for the team that are higher than they should be or lower than they should be and they don't quite meet them and then they curve way up right at the last minute and exceed them and I think that's something we might see this series where you know they've they've kind of dug themselves into a little hole no one wants to lose game one in a a seven game series at home or you know what could be a seven game series um and we've got guys who have good heads on their shoulders who are really going to to make it a show now, would you expect going into game two that these guys come in and just like try to put the the pedal to the metal early on? Or do you think nothing changes whatsoever? I mean, the Blazers led pretty much in every statistical category other than shooting. Do you think it's just business as usual or they really come out with something to prove early on? I think it'll be business as usual. I don't think they're they're going to come out and really have an explosion where, you know, they put New Orleans to shame. And I think if they tried to, New Orleans wouldn't let them. They have phenomenal defense. Um, but... I think for the most part, to borrow sort of a phrase from Kevin Pelton's reaction to the game is that uh, the Blazers, you know, they they missed open shots. And a lot of that is due to the Pelicans defense. But 
you know, some of them just should have been shots they were hitting and shot making is going to vary a little bit more than shot quality. So I think coming into this next game, we're going to see the Blazers play a very similar style, but just, you know, hopefully better. I think what would Damon CJ were one of 15 in the first half or something like that. Yeah. Ali, uh, this is kind of the first time that Pelicans all year long, they've been the Cinderella story. They've kind of been the underdog. Nobody's really expected too much from them. Going into this series, they won their last five games. And Portland, of, of course, lost four of their last five before that closing day victory. But but last night, even though the Pelicans won, uh, like I mentioned, they they lost in pretty much every statistical category from offensive rebounds, something we were afraid of, 15 to 7. They turned the ball over 15 times, 29 fast break points uh, to these guys over in Portland. How are the Pelicans going to respond? Uh, obviously, they've got the advantage now. The Blazers are going to come back. They can't lose this one. They have to split it and go back to New Orleans and try to steal one there. How do the Pelicans weather the storm? And do we think they'll change anything about their approach? I think they'll be just fine, Preston. They've been a team that has been very consistent with effort over, I'd say, around now the last 30 games. So you've got to expect that there's not going to be any kind of lulls with the team, especially, I mean, let's face it, it's the playoffs, Preston. I don't think what, I mean, how can we not expect this, these guys to come out at 100, 110%? So I don't think that's an issue at all. What is an issue, though, is cleaning up some of the problems, as you just alluded to, um, as to where, you know, they, everybody talks about Damian and CJ. Getting off to a real first half, I think that in the second half, they almost shot 50%. So it's not like for the whole game that they were off. But then again, they did miss, as uh, David just mentioned, a lot of good quality looks. And you can't expect that to continue, or nor can you game plan for that. You know, you, you don't want to rely on that. Now, the, what the Pelicans are going to absolutely have to do is, first of all, clean up the rebounding. In the uh, fourth quarter, every shot that the Blazers missed, it was almost a 50-50 as to where half the time the Pelicans got the defensive rebound and the other half the time, Guess who got the offensive rebound? The Blazers. That's just crazy. Uh, you can't be, uh, every time an opponent misses a shot, you can't give them another shot um, half the time on all their attempts. That's just crazy. And then also in that fourth quarter, they turned it over, that is the Pelicans, 20% of the time. So basically they shot themselves in the foot like 500 times. And it's, again, I think it's really surprising to me that they ended or did not end up losing this game as when you just look at these stats, they're just atrocious. So the fact that they held on, I, I thank goodness that'll give them some confidence moving forward. But they've got to clean that up, Preston. They've got to take care of those uh, type of mistakes, especially down um, down towards the end of a the uh, end of a game. They uh, almost almost let one go that would have you know may have resonated with them for the entire series and kind of put a damper on things and their confidence level. So I'm just looking for them to uh, improve the rebounding. Uh, cut down on turnovers, but the third thing that Preston that really stand out stands out to me is for a team that's run and gun, especially since Boogie went down, they were averaging about 310 passes a game against the Blazers. They didn't even hit 260, so they didn't run the type of offense that we became accustomed to. So I'm expecting that for the pace to, or for them at least, to try and increase that, uh, increase the pace up, and uh, just get more easy points through the uh, fast breaks, through whatever they can cause havoc on uh, on uh, d- defensive turnovers, anything of the sort. So I think they're going to make a lot of adjustments. Um, but one thing that we can definitely, I think, rely that they'll stick on is they're going to keep um, harassing the heck out of Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum off of these uh, screens. That worked to a T. And I'm, I'm very curious to see how Portland's going to react to that because they have relied on those two guards to basically create and uh, – dictate the entire offense so when you've suddenly got double teams everywhere who else is going to step up for them and kind of alleviate that pressure 
Now, David, the Pelicans have been really successful uh, scoring a lot of points this season. This one uh, held to just 97. Ollie will know better than I the last time the Pelicans were held under 100 points or how often or frequently it takes place. They held the Pelicans to just 86 shots, which is woefully below their average over the past two to three months since DeMarcus Cousins went down. And they played with the seventh fastest fastest pace even before Boogie went down, but they've been first ever since that point in time. With that being said, uh, the Pelicans still shot pretty well, 48% from the floor. The Blazers shot just 37 0.8% from the floor. Is this the kind of scoring that we can expect from this uh, matchup going forward? Do you expect the Portland uh, Trailblazers to kind of put their, their foot to the pedal a little bit more in the fast break somewhere where they were so successful in game one? Well, I'd think they'd like to, but I mean, overall, this series is probably not going to be uh, a scoring explosion type series you would see from, say, I mean, obviously, if the Rockets and Warriors faced off, it'd be a bit different than this. Um, but you know, the Blazers are a strong defensive team this year and their offense has been a little bit lacking compared to years in the past, especially, uh, when they depend on Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum and they're not hitting as we saw in, in game one, but the Pelicans is, is my understanding, like they're, they're not typically, uh, going to really, really light up the scoreboard every night. Their defense is their primary I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think I pulled up the uh, the offensive rating, defensive rating on that. But um, yeah, we're going to see a lot of of really tough, hard nosed defense. And I could see like the Blazers really stepping it up a little bit if they end up with uh, Dane getting hot. Uh, Ali, let's throw this over to you because you'll know better than I will. I think the Pelicans have been, at least in the past three months, uh, somewhere around first in offensive rating and somewhere around fifth in defensive rating. Everything's just really clicking with these guys. With that being said, the pace was slowed down in this one significantly, as we were just saying. How do the Pelicans quicken that one? Well, like I said, it's going to go to ball movement, Preston, because they resort to dribbling a lot. And uh, basically, Rajon Rondo was the one uh, creating all the attacks. He was looking for guys to get open, whether off cuts or some kind of actions, because the Pelicans weren't able to push the ball in transition like you would have hoped, where, you know, Drew Holiday shooting down a court AD and we're hitting him with some kind of long 30-foot-plus passes just didn't happen. I mean, that's a credit to Portland. They, they had outstanding transition defense, I think, that not a lot of people have talked about. Um, but to David's point, I actually think that I would expect the scoring in the series to increase, although we have two very good defensive teams, simply because – on the season, David, I guess I I'm not sure if you're aware, but New Orleans average over 110 points a game, 111.7 to be specific. And um, I don't think the Portland were, were that big a slashes either, right? Didn't they average right around 106 or something like that? And probably mm -hmm. more at home, I would assume. So I would expect the uh, scoring to increase. Now, it's not all just going to come down transition. I, one key area I'm looking at is um, the personal fouls in the free throw department. If you look at all the postseason games that have happened so far, by far and away, this uh, Blazers-Pelicans matchup featured the fewest amount of personal fouls. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but I remember it being like right around 26 total fouls, and the teams combined for, um, or maybe it was 32 fouls, but the teams combined for a total of 22 free throws. And again, when you compare it to the other series, it was by far and away the uh, lowest two numbers. So I'm expecting for all that to increase. I think the referees really did call a very loose game. They just didn't, you know, they, outside of maybe a touch foul or two, there was none. I mean, you had to be a man basically in that game. <laughs> so I think that could really swing the, um, you know, the kind of, the, you know, the flow of this game. And I'll be very curious to see because you're right. There was a lot of shots that were shot and not made, which is 
unatyp- or atypical of the Portland's offense. And I would say that the Pelicans missed quite a few shots, too. I remember there was a lot of shots up and close where they just rimmed out. So I'm expecting for the scoring to actually move back up despite the good defense of both teams. David, yeah, I David. think that's fair. And I'd like to to jump in and, you know, recognize here that I, I uh, missed the boat on the Pelicans having such a phenomenal offensive finish to the season. So, yeah, I, you know, uh, seeing a scoring increase would not be surprising. And partially, part of that's just because, like, the way the NBA is going, like 97-95, neither team breaking 100 is pretty unusual to begin with. Yeah, I was just going to follow up on that, David. Uh, and I, I remember Ali uh, brought up this statistic uh, a while back whenever the Pelicans score more than 120 points. There's something like 16-0 or something like that. Uh, so they had done it quite frequently this season. What I wanted to mention was Damian Lillard had a quote after the game. Uh, he was kind of regretting uh, an encounter he had with Drew Holiday in the final minute where he tried to draw contact and he just threw up a floater and obviously uh, it didn't go in. And he knew what his intention was. It wasn't to make the shot. It was to draw contact and get to the free throw line. These are two guys who typically uh, enjoy around 11 foul shots per game on this night they only got four do you think they go in uh trying to draw less contact do you think they change the way that they play or do you think like Ali said that was an aberration that neither team got to the line that frequently in game one yeah I think that was an aberration I don't I don't think they're going to play any less physical um I think they're going to try to get to the line a lot and that's something that um as you said Damien and CJ really excel at and you know hats off to new orleans the defense was top notch but also the the officiating was really lax and it was really it was playoff basketball it was just let them go um and i understand why dame would be trying to uh draw contact and get to the line especially when you're trying to uh complete a comeback you know you need to stop the clock and score and that's something that he's usually been able to do but you know on uh on saturday it just wasn't working for him uh, sorry, uh, I'm going to throw this over to Ali, actually. Let's talk about the bench briefly. Uh, the Pelicans really struggled with their four-man unit of Solomon Hill, Darius Miller, Cech Diallo, and Ian Clark. Ian Clark was obviously the best of that bunch with 10 points and that crucial uh, three-pointer in the fourth quarter. With that being said, uh, Cech Diallo, although he wasn't terrible on the whole, definitely uh, a couple of jitters, as you would expect with a guy playing his first playoff minutes. Darius Miller and Solomon Hill, uh, however, have not been good as of late. Darius Miller hasn't been good over the past two months, and Solomon Hill is still uh, returning from that quad in, or that hamstring injury rather where that caused him to miss 69 games after hitting that initial three-pointer he badly airballed one right after are these guys going to be able to contribute anything this series ollie well you gotta hope so Preston, because it's otherwise it's a lot of pressure on our big four and that's rondo holiday uh davis and miritich um somebody else has to step up now clark you know as we know finished the season off strongly i, I would say outside of you know, he had that brief hiatus missing some time with the ankle injury, but didn't appear to affect his shot at all because over the last six weeks or so, I mean, he, he's been absolutely playing like a six-man off the bench where he's just been coming in putting up points on good percent shooting percentages. Um, but other than that, yeah, they're going to have to find another contributor for us. And I was really, um, really dismayed to see Darius Miller only attempt a single shot. Um, he simply has to just be more aggressive, and that's something we talked all too often about this season. Now, granted, it's going to be probably too late to try and – expect him to turn it up for the playoffs, but somewhere that scoring is going to have to come from. And I'm really eyeing each one more, you know, for him to play um, quite a bit. I I know he didn't hit 30 minutes, but he played over 25 to just have four points on like four shot attempts. That's not enough. They're simply going to have to get him more involved uh, because there's really no one else. Solomon Hill, you can't expect to come in and provide any points. 
Same thing with Diallo, you know. Um, he's going to have those kind of rookie jitter, jitter, jitters, even though he's not a rookie. And then who else you've got on the bench? You really don't have much else. Um, I would maybe expect even to see a Mecca Okafor because Diallo looked that, you know, that poorly. And then the Pelicans sorely needed some additional rebound in the fourth quarter that if Diallo gets off to another, like, questionable start or has some questionable minutes, uh, I expect Okafor to maybe come in. But no, person. Other than that, really, they can only rely on points from Clark um, and more outside of our big four. And you hope, and like I said, you hope that Darius Miller just f- finally finds some of that offense. Uh, they they need uh, you know him putting up three pointers. Whether they go in or not doesn't matter. But it opens, it keeps the floor open, and that's something you notice in that fourth quarter. Not only were the Pels missing it, turning it over, and not doing well in the rebounding edge, they just simply couldn't get any free looks. And uh, it seems like they, they basically got suffocated where they had to settle for these jumpers. And so you, you want somebody like Darius Miller out there to keep the defenses honest, you know, Portland's defense. So there's going to be a lot that the role players can do, but I'm not expecting too much. Ollie, quick follow-up. Uh, four of the five stars for the Pelicans played 39 minutes or more. How long do you think they can keep that up? I think they can keep it up. It's a playoff, so you've got the adrenaline going. The Pelicans honestly don't have – or Alvin Gentry has nobody else to turn to. Uh, and you know what? These guys are used to it. AD and Drew have, you know, hovered right around the league lead in minutes played per game. And Ronda, you know, his minutes were actually managed very well. You just hold, have to hope he doesn't, you know, have a little additional wear and tear, maybe a little extra soreness from playing that much. But if he can handle it, then I would expect these guys to be fine. Because for the most part, you know, what, Miritich is 27, same with Holiday and AD are 25. And, you know, they haven't even been putting in 82-game seasons. It's not like these guys are perennial playoff teams that have additional loads. So, I expect them to fare well under the conditions. David, we've got breaking news from Joe Freeman of Oregon Live. He says the Blazers have upgraded Mo Harkless to questionable for Game 2 versus the Pelicans. This is somebody who wasn't anticipated to play until Thursday in New Orleans. Yesterday, he was doing uh, resistant band sprints. So I had an inkling that he might be upgraded. However, we talked to Steve DeWald last night, and he said the Blazers have a history of rushing guys back from injuries, so we thought it might be better to play it a little cautious. This guy is your best three-point shooter. He's 42% on the year, although that's a bit misleading because the first two months he was pretty bad, and he's been on fire ever since as well as an adept rebounder probably your best guy off the bench and uh, a big difference maker how important would it be if he's able to play in game two? Oh, it'd be nice i mean <clears throat> his length on defense and his offensive versatility are uh something that portland has been missing lately but i honestly don't think that he's going to play um and i think that uh, even casey holdall tweeted out earlier today that you know harkless might play but it seems pretty unlikely uh questionable i I'd tend to say that's leaning a little more toward doubtful, but that's my own speculation. It'd be great to have him. Um, If the Blazers have to go again without him, I I don't think it's going to be a huge, huge difference. But uh, in a series that's going to be this tight where the teams are so competitive, you want everyone on the floor that you can get. And missing him has been um, just a real challenge for the team, especially taking away that option off the bench. I think, their best rebounder right now off the bench is probably Ed Davis, who uh, continues to do a stellar job and bring a lot of energy. But when you weaken that bench unit, it really does a number on the starters who have to carry even more. And, you know, as we've, we've discussed, and as we saw, you know, they, they need to be uh, firing on all cylinders and that just wasn't happening. Now, you guys were pretty evenly distributing minutes amongst your bench. Ed Davis with 20, Zach Collins with 22. Shabazz Napier probably looks to play a bit more. He was pretty solid in his 14 minutes, as well as Pat Connaughton with 18 minutes. How does Mo Harkless break up those minutes should he play? Mm, 
Uh, it'll probably take more minutes from Pat than anyone else. I mean, Baz will get out there anyway, and I, I really like the way that he took it to Rondo. So I think he's going to probably see a, a little bit of an increase there. Um, he's not really going to affect Collins. Davis is going to be part of the rotation no matter what. I, I'd say we see a lot less of Pat if we see more of Mo. Uh, let's throw this over to Ali. Uh, he mentions the way that Shabazz was playing against Rajon Rondo, and that's definitely a fear that we have going into game two, as Rondo obviously played 39 minutes, and other than Ian Clark, uh, not a whole lot of help coming from the bench. We don't anticipate Jordan Crawford getting any minutes unless uh, somebody's thrown up the, the victory flag late in the fourth quarter or if the Pelicans desperately need some offense, but that would not be a good thing for us. With that being said, do you anticipate the Blazers, uh, some of their faster guards like Dame Lillard and Shabazz Napier, trying to take it to Rajon Rondo a bit earlier? I would if they get matched up against him, but I'm not expecting that to happen. Um, plus, like I was mentioning earlier, the schemes of the Pelicans is to really attack hard anytime that Damian or CJ are uh, running a pick and roll. And I think that's an outstanding, outstanding strategy because, I mean, let's face it, you're forcing the ball out of their hands and then suddenly you're giving it to somebody else on the floor who outside of Evan Turner, I don't think knows how to handle it, how, how, you know, to pass it, move, get to the rim, you know, it's just not in their game. So like I said, I'm going to be very curious to see how they uh, react to the Pelicans uh, game one strategy of just attacking those pick and rolls really hard. That said with Ray John Rondo, you're right. uh, Preston, even though he's been playing with a lot better effort, he's still somewhat a defensive liability Usually, and it happens when they um, match up against somebody quicker. And, you know, Shabazz is a shifty little player who can get his shot off from pretty much anywhere on the court. So that's a type that Rajon Ronda really struggled with. Um, I don't know, honestly, Pelicans have to just continue with what, you know, they've been doing, and that is relying on the help defense to help any time. Uh, really, there's nobody to hide Rondo out there on. Evan Turner's kind of too big. That's why we saw even Drew Holiday guarding him at some time, at some moments in the game, as well as Etwan Moore. So it's really hard to hide Rondo. So you're right. I mean, the short answer is there really is no answer. Um, Rondo's going to have to just gut it out. The team has to gut it out because his offense is so incredibly important. I mean, a guy who puts up 17 assists against just two turnovers has got to be out there on the floor uh, for this team. So they're just going to have to manage him being a defensive liability and just help as much as they can. Well, the nice thing for you guys is that you've got the best help defender in the NBA to cover if he gets yeah. by him. Yeah, we've got a couple guys, actually, I would say are really good help defenders. A.D. Andrew, you know. those, And you know what? Nicola doesn't get enough love, David. I don't know if you noticed, but he seemed to be very active, and it led to a lot of blocks and steals. And that's something that a lot of fans don't know about him. Um yeah, so I think that's part of the reason why the defense was so good by the Pelicans, why the Portland Blazers struggled. It's not just because of one guy. Granted, Drew Holiday was all world, but Nicole and AD were very good too. And I think, honestly, going back to what you were talking about, Mo Harkless, I think he would be a boon to your lineups. When I was looking at numbers and when I watch a few games, he made such a for a much better fit with that starting lineup and having Evan Turner come off the bench. So I wanted to ask you, are you certain that they're not going to try and rush him back? Because that team is a lot better to me in my eyes. And I think their record reflected that. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. But when Mo Harkless started and Evan came off the bench, how much of a better team are they? Oh, well, I mean, they're certainly better. It's nice to have Evan uh, directing the bench unit because we don't have a lot of players that can facilitate. And in order to to keep production up, he needs a guy out there who can do wonders with the ball in his hand. And Shabazz is great at, at moving it, and he's also a great scorer. But Evan Turner is actively looking to pass a lot of the time. Um, 
<clears throat> having Mo back again would be really big. And I don't, I can't say with certainty that he won't play in game two because I'm not him and I'm not the Blazers training staff. And uh, you're right. The Blazers do have a history of rushing guys back as we saw last year. Uh, Nurkic recovering from a fibular fracture showed up for one game so that we could say, look, Hey, we have a chance. And, you know, and then the Warriors continued their sweep. But uh, yeah, I, I would be surprised if he played in game two. I don't, I don't think it's out of the question, but uh, I, I think game three is more likely personally. David, I'm going to wrap up with this one and then we're going to get some predictions. Uh, this was actually a question uh, from Zach uh, over at the Bird Rights as well as Nolan Pelicans read it. I, I know that he listens to every podcast, but I don't actually know his name. I clicked on his Twitter handle and I couldn't find it anywhere, but I know that he writes for Locked on Pelicans. So I appreciate the love from those guys. Uh, the question has to deal with Yusuf Nurkic, just 25 minutes and only seven shots. Evan Turner, Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum all fired off a combined 56. Do you expect more from Yusuf Nurkic and how does he keep his hair that way? excuse me um well i'm sure he maintains it very uh thoroughly and uh maybe it's some sort of mousse or gel frequent trips to the barbershop as well but uh i you know i would say that uh pardon me nurkic uh the blazers are kind of billed as a big three even though it's predominantly the guards but it's more like a, a big two and a half like nurkic has nights where He'll be a major factor, and then the other nights he'll disappear. And it's just a matter of how involved um, the Blazers can can get him. And a big part of that is the Lillard-Nurkic pick-and-roll, which, as you said, the Pelicans were attacking pretty hard. So I could see uh, him being sort of a, a quiet presence this series. But, again, it, it's very up and down. So I would expect him to take more than seven shots in Game 2. Um, 25 minutes is actually, you know, it, it's not – not unusual. Nurkic usually doesn't play um, as much as the other starters and under 30 minutes is, is uh, you know, it's something that happens not necessarily regularly, but pretty often. <coughs> Excuse me. But uh, speaking of, of player hair, I just had a question for you guys, a brief tangent. When did Miritich shave the beard? Cause I walked into shoot around and I was looking, I was like, oh, there's Anthony Davis getting some shots up. And I was like, there's some like 15th man that I wasn't aware of. I'll have to look over the roster again. And then Sean Hyken pointed out to me because he covered him in Chicago. He said, yeah, there's Miritich right there. He's just clean shaven and he looks like a completely different person. I'll let you take that one. I'll take it. Uh, um, so Nikola Miritich was struggling in his initial two months with the New Orleans Pelicans after we got him for that first round pick for Omar Ashek, and he was shooting under 30% from three. He was almost unplayable at times, uh, early on, like against the jazz, I think it was his first or second game. Uh, we were really surprised with the way he was able to rebound and defensively stop, you know, other bigger players like Derek favors. But with that being said, he just couldn't get going offensively and you could see it really affecting him. He was forcing shots. They were all contested deep threes. Nothing was working. He was uh, too timid with taking the ball to the hoop and you could just see it waning on him. And we were all just as surprised as you were one day. Uh, I can't remember specifically who they were playing. Um, I want to say it was the Suns, but it, it was a thunder press in first game in April against the he thunder. Had a really bad. Yeah. He had a really bad shooting performance where he played 19 minutes, shot two and nine, 0 for five from three. As Preston was saying, this came off a, a whole bunch of games where he just couldn't find the range from deep. So before the next game against the Memphis Grizzlies on April 4th, here it comes in clean shaven um, 
uh, Miritich. And a lot of people, honestly, David, thought it was Omer Ashik was back in town. <laughs> kind of looked similar. Yeah, and uh, also Gentry made a change by inserting him back into the starting lineup. He had toyed with the idea early on, but he had mainly mm-hmm. stuck with Emeka Okafer and played Okafer the first eight minutes of the first quarter and somewhere around the first six to eight minutes of the third quarter and then played Miritich in a lot of the crunch time lineups. But even some games, Darius Miller got the nod over Miritich. So he was finding himself out of the rotation. He needed a change. He came in, he shaved, and of course the reporters swarmed to him. And I almost thought like it was a little too much attention. Like what if he takes <laughs> another step back with all this? Uh, but it ended up working out. I think the next four games, he averaged something to the tune of like 28 points and 12 rebounds. And for the most part, he's kept it going. And while he hasn't shot uh, particularly well from two-point range in the past six games, he's been lighting it on fire from three-point range. And that's really all the Pelicans need is to get guys like Yusuf Nurkic chasing him out on the perimeter. And on defense, he's actually a pretty good, capable body defender. And he's been playing a lot of the five against guys like Nurkic and like Gasol and like LaMarcus Aldridge. Uh, they've been they've been letting him take a lot of the pounding and that's given Anthony Davis the freedom to go you know block hunting and steal hunting and jump into passing lanes and that sort of stuff so his his versatility has really uh reached a new level in the past two weeks and so everybody's uh laughingly joked to to bring this full full circle that uh he's not allowed to come into the arena anymore unless he brings a razor with him (laughs) yeah I know the other day Gentry had said that uh that uh he his only regret was that he didn't make him shave sooner yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, he looks like he's 19 years old now. That was the the joke. I think Joel Myers referred to that uh, probably seven times during the, the first telecast uh, in his time back. Let's let's get you out of here, David. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, we're going to do some predictions. Obviously, uh, everybody's probably going to expect the Blazers to shoot a bit better uh, and to calm things down and return with a victory at the Moda Center tomorrow night. Is that how you see things unfolding? Mm, yes. I would say <laughs> that playing the odds, you know, they're they're going to shoot better. They're the home team. They're probably going to win. Uh, I don't think it's it's one of those things where it's a given. I think the Pelicans could certainly take game two, and if they do, the series is theirs. Um, but, yeah, I, I would say that certainly I expect Damian and CJ especially to shoot a lot better than they did in game one. And if they do, the Pelicans are going to have a lot harder time pulling out a W. Now. Ali, are you? Uh, what are you particularly afraid of going into Game Two? Damian Lillard, being a, a top five MVP finalist, uh, he's probably going to light himself on fire on this one and try to <laughs> single handedly beat the Pelicans. You would think, or at least carry these guys early on until he sees them all get comfortable. What are you expecting uh, specifically from Dame? I'm expecting him to try and do what he always does in big games, and that's to come out and uh, lead his team to victory. What, and you know, if it take requires 25, 30 shots, he's going to do it. And I expect him to shoulder part of, uh, you know, the fact that they did come out really slowly in that first uh, half against in game one. So I'm expecting him to come out a lot more aggressive. And that's what I'm, I'm afraid of. You had just asked kind of what am I afraid of? That's exactly what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of Portland coming out the more aggressive team. And therefore, the referees who may have gotten a little talking to or because it's going to be a different crew, they're going to call this game differently. They're going to call a lot more fouls. So I'm worried that these guys will get to the line early. They'll get their shots, get in their groove earlier, get their rhythm earlier. And therefore, you know, they're going to ride that wave all the way to a win uh, in game two as to where the Pelicans, regardless of how they play, I have a feeling they may be playing catch up all game and not catch up. So I'm I'm with David. I'm on the fence as far as a prediction. I don't know if you want one out of me, but I'm going to give it to you now. (laughs) Um, I think that the Pelicans may still hang on because they did a lot. And I mentioned this a couple of days ago on a pod 
uh, post-game immediate reaction that I, ex- I expect for the Pelicans to clean up a lot of their issues. Uh, you can't expect them to give up, you know, 50% offensive rebounding in the fourth quarter, to turn it over as much as they did, to not have, to basically have an offense that's just wilted and died. And you just didn't see the passing, the cutting. So I'm expecting them to correct a few of those things. And, you know, since I predict, predicted them in five games with my heart, six games to win with my head, I gotta, I'm got i going to stay on that line, you know. Might as well stay on that ledge, right? So I'm going to predict them to somehow win this one. David, just looking ahead a little bit before I let you go, uh, a kind of a, a peculiar schedule for the Pelicans Blazers in this one, and that there's a three-day hiatus between Game 1 and Game 2 in Portland, but just two days separate uh, Game 2 in Portland and Game 3 in New Orleans. Would you expect any momentum to carry over from Game 2 to Game 3? Uh, well, I mean, it's a playoff series, so I'd, I'd say that momentum's going to carry the whole time, but I don't think the schedule is going to be something that either team's going to worry about too much. And that, that again, is something that uh, Alvin Gentry mentioned is that <clears throat> they, you guys, that you had like five games in six nights or some crazy. I remember there was a rescheduled mm-hmm. game where you played three in a row. And I don't, I don't remember uh, seeing that before, but he had said that, you know, the guys are durable. They're going to be fine. They're going to get out there and, and play every game as hard as they can. So um, I, as far as momentum goes, that's kind of hard to say because game to game, I don't know that momentum, uh, I mean, like quarter to quarter, it's definitely a bigger thing. But um, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not sure how to answer that one. Uh, that, that, that was just a bonus that? question. You don't have to worry about it. Uh, I, I just thought I'd throw that out there being that if the, the Blazers are able to take game two, there's going to be less time for us to deliberate and kind of talk ourselves into circles. It probably uh, won't make too much of a difference at the end of the day. These guys are professionals and two days is more than enough time for these guys to collect themselves and come back with a, with a new and improved game plan and and bounce back. Right, Ollie? Yes. Yeah. 48 hours rest for these guys during the playoffs. And I mean, they're all almost all in their twenties, all the guys that play big minutes. Yeah. Shouldn't be an issue. All right. Thank you guys so much for your time. This is The Bird Calls. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. Thank you to our guest and our friend, award-winning journalist and editor to the Blazers Edge, David McKay. David, you did us uh, the courtesy, like I said earlier, uh, posting some videos during shoot-around. What else can Pelicans fans expect from you over the course of this series? Oh, well, I mean, uh, if you're following me on Twitter, you'll probably see a, a little bit of stuff on the Blazers, a little bit of stuff from USA Today. I've been kind of expanding my gig a little bit. Um, if the series does go more than four games and we come back to Portland, I'll probably hit shoot around again and put a little more content out there and just general analysis and observations. Ali, uh, David actually had a question for me and I didn't really know how to answer. I noticed that I refer to the Pelicans as the Pels a lot. And he said, is that something that a lot of Pelicans fans frequently do? And I didn't know how to answer it. Am I the only one? No, everybody does. To start off as Pellies. But that just didn't stick around as soon as the name changed. You know, David, from the Hornets to the Pelicans, we just naturally started trying to shorten it down. But Pelly's <laughs> thick for very long. I remember, I don't know if you remember my site editor, Rohan, before he uh, left uh, the site. He he was the one that kind of used Pelly's a lot. But then it seemed like just a month later or so, everybody, you know, just reduced it down to Pels. And, you know, even Joel Myers, if you listen to a local telecast on Fox Sports New Orleans, everybody, Joel Myers, David Wesley, all refer him as Pels. So it's just a nickname that stuck. That's how oh, lazy. Yeah, fair That's enough. I'm I, oh, sorry. I'm talking over you. Um, but uh, like with the Blazers, you know, we typically say Blazers, you know, Blazers, Blazers, Blazers. It's pretty short, but it drives a lot of fans nuts when people shorten it to Zers. They say, let's go Zers. 
And, you know, I was wondering if there was that same sort of chagrin when people say Pels or if it's something that's widely used and accepted. I think in the South, we're all so lazy. We can't even manage to say Pellies. We have to shorten it all the way to Pels. <laughs> and I wonder if the Blazers were in Louisiana, if we would just refer to them as the Blaze. What do you think we'd do, Ollie? I don't know, man. Um, I, I don't even want to make some guesses because we'd probably come up with some bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I won't put you guys in the spot. Ali, obviously, we've got some roundtable stuff that are on their way. We've got uh, a preview coming up uh, for game two. Why don't you tell our listeners a bit about what they can expect from the birdrights.com in the next 24 hours? Other than the preview, what I'm working on is I, I just started looking at some numbers on uh, how the NBA series play out when the first uh, game goes to a certain team. Like, I want to see how often uh, does that team go on to win the series. And I want to say, I'm looking at some preliminary numbers. I want to say it's like 75% of the time, whoever takes game one goes on to win the series. I got to double check that because I'm not looking at stuff that I think's uh, very legit on a certain site. But again, that's what I'm most interested in seeing is honestly, what does history say about the Pelicans' chances? Oh, you know what? I was reading something on Blazers Edge earlier, and I guess I didn't write it down or I put it into my phone. But whenever the Blazers lose game one, they frequently lose the series. However, uh, mm. whenever they lose game one, uh, I can't remember what it was, but it was overwhelming odds that they come back and win game two, regardless of the outcome of the series as a whole. But I'll go ahead and I'll look that up and I'll post that in the comment section under this podcast. Don't want to waste any more of your time. Thank you so much to Dave. We hope you've enjoyed listening to the bird calls on OTG and nothing but net here on Dash Radio. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Johnny got a toy golf set when he was three, and from that day on, he was hooked. All he wanted to do was golf, golf, golf. He'd be on the links before school, after school. All he ever wanted was to go pro. And then, one day... When he was holding his grandson and thinking about his 12 handicap, Johnny realized it just might not happen for him. But you know what did happen for him? He switched to Geico and saved a bunch of money on car insurance. So that was good, and so was hanging out with his grandson. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.